Welcome to the Imperfect Leader Podcast. I'm Scott Neal, your host. Today, I'm excited to bring to you an interview that I conducted with Kim Polini. Kim is a prosecuting attorney here in Elizabeth City area, and I thoroughly enjoyed this podcast. Learned so much, and I know you will learn a lot as well. Let me encourage you to go by iTunes if you have not done so already and give us a five-star review. Also, you can leave comments and questions. I read each one and we'll do the best I can to answer any questions you have. We want to know how we can improve the podcast. So if you have some suggestions, let us know. Before we get to the interview with Kim, we do have some exciting guests coming up. First is Josh Lassiter from Elizabeth City State University. Josh is doing a great job there. And he's coming up in just a couple of weeks and looking forward to the interview. Also, Dale and Amber Jones, who serve on staff with me at Forest Park Church here in Elizabeth City. Dale is our executive pastor and his wife, Amber, is our creative pastor. Both of them are doing a fantastic job on staff and I've got some questions for them and they've got an interesting story about their own life and journey uh, moving from where they were to where they are today and their marriage and also on staff here at Forest Park doing what they are doing. So they're coming up uh, soon. All right, I want to get right to the interview with Kim Polini. So sit back and listen and I know you'll learn a lot and uh, thanks so much. Welcome to the podcast, Kim. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so honored you are here. Now, we have a lot of people obviously listening to the podcast who do not know who you are. So please begin today's conversation with just telling us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Uh, my name is Kim Polini. I live in Currituck County. I'm married to Paul, and he is retired from the U.S. Navy, and he's a nurse anesthetist up in Virginia. We have two kids. We have Faith, who is 12, and Noah, who is 9, and we have many animals. Many animals. Many. Okay. We'll talk about that a little bit later, <laughs> all right, because I believe you love animals. I do. Yeah, so we'll talk about that as we get further into this conversation. Now, how long have you been doing your current job as a district attorney? I'm getting ready to hit my 12th year, Okay. and I also interned with this particular office when I was in law school, so I spent a summer prosecuting while I was in law school, so it's been close to about 13 years. Now, where was that? I went to law school in Regent, Regent University School of Law up Mm -hmm. in Virginia Beach. Right, and so you practiced up there first? No, I only went to law school there. I came here uh, to do my practice. All right. Now, why, why did you decide to become a prosecuting attorney? I mean, there are so many jobs out there. Was that a dream that you had from the uh, time you were a little girl, or how did that come to be? Well, I took the scenic route to law school. I never um, imagined being a prosecutor. I've always been fascinated by the law and crime shows, uh, but I had no goals of being a lawyer. I'm the first person in my family to go to college, so I didn't sit down as a little girl and think, oh, I'm going to be a lawyer. I went in the Navy after high school and sort of uh, went to school at night, got an associate's degree, and I was actually in the medical field. So when I got out of the Navy to finish my bachelor's, I was planning on being a nurse. Hmm. So I started working on that, and I actually stumbled into the law by taking some electives in the area, fell in love with it, realized I was really good at it, and decided to go for it. Okay, so your plan was to actually be a nurse I had several plans, but that was one of them. (laughs) All right. So you wanted to be a nurse for a while, right before you decided to become an attorney. Took some electives, loved them, and said, hey, this actually is more, I have a more passion 
in the field of law than I do in medicine. Definitely. Okay. I was working in an operating room as a surgical technologist in Florida while I went to undergraduate. So, I mean, I was working full-time in an operating room, a trauma center. Uh, I was completely in that world. I had been a Navy corpsman for six years and um, was a certified EMT, certified surgical tech. So I had a good basis in um, the medical field, but you know, I liked it, but I didn't love it. But I, I love the law. I love reading criminal cases and uh, Supreme Court opinions. I just enjoyed it. And I had lawyers teach me. And I was very good at the testing and very good at understanding the cases. And they recommended that I should think about it. And I thought, you know what, this is possible. So I decided to switch majors and um, go for it. Okay, now what undergraduate do you, must you have in order to go into okay. the School of Law? There is no set undergraduate degree. Okay, so you could finish what you were doing there sure. and then go into law. There okay. are actually nurses who become lawyers. I see. Um, so you, as long as you get a bachelor's degree, mm-hmm. you can apply for law school. Okay. And what was your experience like at Regent? Loved it. Yeah, I was, uh, I've heard a lot of wonderful things about the School of Law there. It is a completely different environment. Uh, law school can be very cutthroat. Mm-hmm. You've got a lot of type A personalities, very competitive. And you certainly have some of that at Regent, but the atmosphere is different. They are trying to make Christian leaders. Mm-hmm. So their goal is to make you the best you can be, but also to be you know, honorable, have a, sort of a Christ focus in your law practice, right. put people first. It's not about, I want to be a lawyer and make a million dollars. It's a different environment. They're very supportive of the students, and the students really help each other there. Yeah. And how long does it take once you enter into law school you know, until you complete? What does that process look like? Okay, so you finished your bachelor's degree in something, so that's mm-hmm. four years. Then you have to take a, uh, an exam called the LSAT. Mm-hmm. Apply for law school. When you get in, it's three more years. Once you finish law school, you take a bar exam, which is a three-day exam. You take it in the state that you wish to practice in. And if you pass, you're admitted to the bar, and then you can begin working. Okay, so mm-hmm. it looks like about a five-year, six-year process. Easily. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Now, are, when, as a prosecuting attorney, I, I'm ignorant about this, so okay. I'm really interested okay. in finding out. Uh, are you assigned cases, or can you, you know, like, can you turn them down? Like if someone, I'm not sure how you, in your position, if they come and go, okay, you know, here, Kim, here's a case, and you're assigned. Can you look at that case and choose whether or not, you know, you want to take it, or do you not have much of a choice? You pretty much take what you're given. I take most things, but um, how it works in our office, we're unusual in that we cover seven counties, the top mm-hmm. northeastern counties. We have a central office in Elizabeth City and one in Dare. Our prosecutors rotate around. Currently, I'm a supervisor, so I supervise the other assistant district attorneys, but I also handle primarily Pasquotank County. So every felony that comes in Pasquotank County is going to come across my desk at some point. Every felony? Basically every felony. And how many does that, is that look like? It's hundreds. You wow. know, I have hundreds of cases pending at any given time okay. and misdemeanor appeals. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I do is I review them. If it is not legally sufficient, if I do not believe there's enough to go forward, then I can say, I know I'm not going to take this. I can dismiss it or not charge it. I can change the charges. Um, so I do have discretion. I'll get things that I just don't think I can prove. And, you know, you have to tell right. people, no, I'm not going to do this. Um, I also can take cases from other counties. Um, I do a lot of the murder cases. So if a murder happens in Camden and I want that case, I will um, say I'm going to step over there and do that particular case, or I'll go help someone in another county. Right. So. And how many are going on at one time? Cases? Yeah, just like Oof. that you're in charge of, that you oversee. 
Well, we have, um, like I just finished court this month, and I had maybe 200 cases on the docket. It wasn't a trial session. It was what we call an administrative session where we're doing plea bargaining. People are pleading guilty, or they're saying, I'm not going to take a plea. I'm going to go to trial, and we're setting trial dates. So I'll have two, 300 cases that I am personally touching for a three-day period, trying to you know work out and resolve in some manner. And then when we go to a trial session with a jury, I can have anywhere from you know one case to you know 50 um, on a trial calendar, and I'm trying to manage that trial for a week. And you know, so how many trials would you actually be in the courtroom prosecuting in a given year, probably? Or is it better to say per month? Or well, it depends. We have six trial sessions with juries in Pasco Tank County unless we, something unusual happens and I try something just about every uh, every other month mm-hmm. um, the bigger the case the longer it takes the less I can do right. I think the most I've done in one week is five or six jury trials five so, or six jury in a week trials in one week in one is week that, is that completing the trial yes okay so some of them obviously just last the like day. some of them are short okay and some of them will literally finish the trial the jury goes into the jury room to deliberate we start picking another jury for the next case I see the bigger cases um, like for example some of the murder cases or serious assaults they may take the whole week and that might be all I get to do the mm-hmm. week but I probably do um, five to ten jury trials a year um, easily mm-hmm. and, and um, how, how what's the longest case you've ever a jury trial you've ever been a part of I've done some murders that have gone two weeks two generally weeks. I'm pretty fast so yeah. I, I try to move through and not put on a lot of uh, things that aren't necessary mm-hmm. and try to be considerate of time because you have juries who are kind of being held hostage you know they can't go to their regular job they have family commitments we have judges who are rotating on a schedule as well they need to be in other counties so we try to um, be expedient with everyone's time so most of my murders all I can do in five days or less usually yeah and then uh, how, how do you, I just, when I hear all that, it's amazing that you keep, you're able to keep all of that information organized and you jump from one trial to the next. And I mean, that takes a tremendous amount of mental energy and uh, organization. Practice. Yeah. It has some practice. And yeah. also, um, sometimes you are, you have something that you're very prepared for and something will happen. Someone's sick or there's a reason it gets continued. So then you go to plan B and you have mm-hmm. to do something you may not be as comfortable with trying that week. But, you know, part of being a trial attorney is being an actor. So you get up there and, you know, project confidence even if sure. you don't feel it. So, how do you find that confidence? Because, I mean, I can imagine, mm-hmm. I mean, here, here you are walking into, a trial where someone's life is on the line and obviously there are families um, you know who has lost someone if it's a murder trial and you don't feel well that day you're tired extremely tired you're exhausted over other trials you're, you're somewhat sick you know something's going on in your family mm-hmm. like everybody has you know this could be a marital thing kids finances who knows what all of that how do you personally set that aside kind of put that to the side walk into that trial, find the confidence, find the energy, and do your absolute best, especially with someone's life on the line and families waiting for some sense of justice and closure. Well, I pray okay. before court okay. to do my best. And I don't necessarily pray to win because I may be wrong. You know, I pray to do justice and I pray to do my best, you know, and then and to get through it. But I also care about the case, especially the more serious ones by the time I get to trial, I care about that person who was hurt. Mm. And I want to see justice done, and I want to see the right thing happen. So I'm very Im- invested in it by the time I get to court. I spend a lot of time 
out of court thinking about those cases, weekends, you know, bringing my, you know, computer home and working on the trial. So I put a lot of time in it. And when it comes down to it, I've been trained to do this. I've got the experience. And I just have to know that I'm going to go in there and do the best I can. I have no control over what a jury will do with it, Mm -hmm. but I have control over the way I present it. So I just go in there and I make the decision that I'm going to go in there and do as well as I can. And, you know, some of it's just reaching deep down and just knowing I might feel scared inside, but they're not going to know it. So after all this time, it sounds like you still have such a passion to do what you do. I do. You love what you do. I do. It's not just a job. It's not. In Region, actually, that's one of their logos. Mm-hmm. It's not just a career, it's a calling. Right. Um, I don't do this for the money. I can make more money being a defense attorney or some other type of law. I do it because I care about the people. I've had family members who've been victims of crime. I've had family members who've also been the perpetrators of crime. So I've gotten to see both sides of it. And, you know, I care about what happens in that courtroom. Um, I care uh, about the 16-year-old who's committing crimes who needs help. Yeah. You know, I want to see them do better. I don't want to see them in court. But I equally care about the victims who are being hurt and want to hold people responsible and protect the community. Yeah. So I do what I think I am called to do, and I will do it until I'm you know, called to do something else. Yeah. What does preparation look like for you? I mean, it's a lot of reading, reading. researching. I mean, it's just constant to get ready for that trial. And you mm-hmm. said that some of those trials are quick. I would imagine the speed of the trial has somewhat to do with preparation. Yes. Okay. You have to organize your witnesses. You're telling a story. Right. But you're at the same time, your story is going to have to depend on people's schedules. You can't have all your witnesses who have jobs and family obligations sit in court all week. So we're trying to coordinate the schedule and still tell a story in a way that the jury can follow along. Mm-hmm. So you have to do that. Uh, and the schedules don't always uh, make that easy. And, you know, you have to plan out where you want to go with it. What do you want to get out of this particular witness? What are the weaknesses? How do you explain this to a jury so that they understand the law and get where um, you're coming from? A lot of my witnesses have credibility issues. Mm. Um, You know, you don't have, I always tell people, you don't have church ladies usually being the witnesses to crime. So I will have criminals who are testifying. So how am I going to tell that to the jury? Well, this person's not great, but they saw what they saw. And then you have this other person, obviously, who's a defense attorney, whose entire life and training and research and preparation is to do everything he or she can do to get the same person you're attempting to prosecute off. Yes. So that is, I mean, to to think that you have a professional and educated person over here who could be spending the same amount of time doing the very opposite of what you're doing. Yes. Yeah. They should be. Yeah, that's exactly Mm -hmm. right. Um, what kind of relationship, and I'm sure that depends on the, the, the defense attorney and the prosecutor, but, you know, on TV, you know, there's a mm-hmm. lot of tension that exists mm-hmm. between the prosecutor and the, the defense team. Is that is that close to, to, to realistic in life, or are you friends with many, you know, and is there a lot of friendship there, and it's just professional, it's my job, you know, we, mm-hmm. we got to do what we got to do. How does that work? Tell us a little bit about kind of behind the scenes of that. Okay. It, you know, it depends on your area. Some areas in the state are very contentious. Uh, the prosecutors and the public defenders and defense attorneys don't speak to each other. It's very nasty. Mm-hmm. In our particular area, we all get along for the most part. There may be some minor exceptions, but generally a lot of us are friends. We do go to lunch. We will make fun of each other. Uh, I'm friends with the uh, chief public defender, and he can do a great imitation of me in court. <laughs> We constantly insult each other as a uh, yeah. joke sure. and, uh, you know, 
just pick on each other all the time outside of court and congratulate each other and we try cases and yes we get mad on occasion because you you get emotional during some of these trials it can be a little heated but the end of the day it is a job they have a job to do and so do I so I try not to take it personal Mm -hmm. you know if I get mad about something I try to let it go but I would imagine some of that humor helps to cut through some of the tension and stress because again, people's lives are on the line. And, and if a mm-hmm. defense attorney has taken this case and truly believes this person is innocent, or at least not guilty of the crime right. they've been you know, accused of, if this person loses, if this defense attorney mm-hmm. loses, this person's going to jail. So yes. I mean, they feel a high pressure you know, to, to get this person off. So you know, each of you are walking in there with a sense of justice. You yes. want justice done. Um, so I, a little bit of the humor and ribbing each other can kind of cut through some of that, I would imagine. So it helps make your job a little bit more bearable. It, it makes it more pleasant. Yeah. Um, we really work closely with the public defenders. Mm-hmm. They're very nice. They're very professional. Um, they do a great job. They have a hard job. They don't get to choose their cases. They're not private defense attorneys who someone comes in and pays them money. They work for the state, and they okay. get assigned all the uh, people who can't afford an attorney. They get them all. They get no right. selection. And so they do what they're supposed to do. And they are vigorous advocates for their clients, and they're supposed to. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that they're there. I mean, everyone doesn't like lawyers until they need one. Sure. So. That is so true. Well, many people obviously watch, you know, law dramas on TV, and many mm-hmm. of those shows have been extremely popular. Um, they think they know because they've watched, you know, certain shows, or maybe they followed a particular attorney on TV or whatever. That they they know what really goes on, you know, in the courtroom and what happens behind the scenes. Uh, wh- what's the truth? Give us a little bit of the, you know, here's what TV seems to portray, or here's what movies seem to show. Here's the reality. Give us a little okay. bit of what you see the difference is. Well, one, it takes much longer to okay. resolve cases to solve them, and TV there seems to always be some magical evidence. There's gonna be a camera somewhere that caught it. That's not real life. Um, they always have forensics. We do not. Hmm. Um, okay, let me ask about mm-hmm. that. That's interesting. Because when we watch you know, movies and TV mm-hmm. shows, I mean, it's, it's almost like forensics are just there. I mean, hey, do this for me. I need this, mm-hmm. I need that. I need this blood work. I need this done, fingerprints, all right. the different things. You're saying that's not always the case. Why is that? Is it not available or there's just not the evidence there to find sometimes there's not the evidence there to find but even when it is we don't leave dna on everything or if you do it's not permanent you know Mm. you have weather factors you have environmental issues the quality of the material had a murder recently that we had witnesses who said the uh, murderer wore this particular jacket we recovered the jacket uh, near his property no DNA on it. The, in fact, the only DNA on it was uh, a crime analyst who contaminated it, but mm-hmm. there was nothing. But juries literally expect that you're always going to have fingerprints on a gun. That's not true. They expect you're always going to have DNA. No, it just depends on a lot of factors. So um, more people, I think, get off now because we don't always have this CSI expectation mm-hmm. met that they're coming into the jury room with. Oh, so do you, do you think that well, I would imagine that you that that it certainly is the case sometimes, but the juries are somewhat—I don't know the right word—but maybe tainted a little bit, totally skewed a little bit, even from what they've seen on TV. So they have maybe a high expectation for this, mm. you know, the smoking gun. They're going to yes. find something, and what's wrong with you? You can't even find a fingerprint, you know, or something like that. So you think that somewhat clouds their their view? I do. Mm. Uh, people getting on the stand and testifying under oath 
that's not enough anymore. That used to be all you had um, pre-forensics. Someone getting into court, testifying to what they saw, what they found, what they did. Now you can have people literally witness a murder and the jury will be like, I just don't know. Mm. They're very skeptical. And some of it is the TV shows, um, the 24-hour news cycle. uh, Bad things happen by police and lawyers and the court system. We get it wrong sometimes. We get it right more than we get it wrong. But with but those tw- cases are not... They, They're not talked about. Right. The, the one who served years in prison, you know, and DNA mm-hmm. uncovered the truth, and now they're free, is all over the news, almost right. making it sound like this is happening Rampant. constantly. Mm-hmm. You know, people are in, in prison when they're innocent. Right. So it, it somewhat makes a juror go, well, I don't know. You know, we better be very careful here because we right. don't want to be part of that. Right. And then they should be careful. Sure. We want them to take it seriously. But at the same time, it's... Um, if you watch the news, you would think that, you know, everyone's innocent in prison and um, we're planting evidence and right. all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, so that's kind of disappointing. You have to deal yeah. with your jury and try to figure out where they're at. I mean, are they conspiracy theorists? Because mm. um, I frankly don't have the energy to manufacture evidence and do all sure. this. I have too many cases, so it's always kind of comical if that's sort of the defense that the law enforcement is doing all this to get someone. Who has time for that? Um, right. So... There's an expectation for more forensics, and I think reality actually happens. Plus, we have backlogs that we have to deal with, and you know, money is involved with how much you can get tested. Um, so you have a lot of issues. Yeah, when you watch a, a TV drama, it almost uh, gives the impression that these attorneys, you know, who are prosecuting or defending, mm-hmm. they have this one client. That's all they think about. You know, every day they're consumed with this one trial, um, but that's not the case. You That's got not at multiple all. trials going on, and or or at least cases pending, and you know, and, and the trial moves on. You've got another trial starting, and mm-hmm. I think that's a extremely important point. That you, who has time to think through all the planning of evidence and trying right. to do all? I'm sure it does. I'm happen. sure there's someone out there, right? But absolutely, but that is most definitely not it's, common. Yeah, know? it's hard because you're always um, like I'm on my third murder for the year, and so. You know, I haven't forgotten the other two, but I was still right. working on this one, and I have others that I'm right. already planning for, plus my other cases. Yeah. And then, you know, there's just a lot going on. And I imagine you have to be a, a, a reader of people, because you just mentioned about the jurors. Do you, when you, when you mm-hmm. scan the jury, is that one of the first things you're doing, is trying to figure out what kind of group this yes. is? Okay. And do you look for body language? I do. Do they like me? Hmm. Um, if I have someone up there who appears to be hostile to me in just the normal, what we call voir dire, where you're questioning them. If they don't like me, I'm not keeping them because they've already chosen a side without right. hearing any evidence. So I look for, cause so this is before the trial begins. Before the trial, we select jury and I get a certain number of strikes, they call it, where I can remove someone from the jury for no reason. So a lot of it is body language. How are they answering the questions? Are they friendly with me? If they seem like they dislike me, and some of it could be positional, there are people who are hostile to law enforcement or hostile to the state, um, then I don't want them on my jury because I want someone who's going to listen to the evidence and make a decision based on all the evidence and the law, not because they don't like prosecutors or they think the government's corrupt or right. they've had so a bad there, experience. There is a, and a tremendous amount of responsibility in the jury selection. You make or break your case there. Really? So the better an attorney is at asking the right questions at the front of this trial, and removing some of the people who are somewhat biased or just blatantly biased. And right. if you are not a good people reader, you're, you, you don't pay attention to the body language, you could lose the, the entire trial yes. simply because 
you did not pay attention to some facial expressions, right. body language. They've already, you know, they've already chosen a side, like you said, before the trial begins. And a good attorney can see that, read yes. that, and help make that selection and get the right jurors in that box. Absolutely. And so what we'll do is we get a jury list in advance. We look first and see, do we even know anyone on that list? And we make little mm. comments on the sheet. Um, then we'll rotate it around people who are local in the area, law enforcement. Do you know any of these people? And they'll write good juror, or, you know, felony or whatever. Give us some information about it. Um, then we ask questions, and I, I just look. How are they reacting? And then I turn to whoever's trying the case with me, uh, the other lawyer, or my assistant who's, you know, been doing this forever. What do you think about them? And if anyone has a bad feeling about it, we discuss it for a moment, and then we remove them. Mm-hmm. Um, because every time that I have ignored a feeling about a particular juror, mm-hmm. the case has gone south. Really? Yes. So you begin to trust yourself. Yes. Yeah, intuition. Definitely. Yeah, I was reading a... Um, um, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink. So an excellent book. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend reading it. And in the book, he, he talks about intuition, the power of intuition, and some research showing you know, that often our intuition is just as, as good in the final results as even those who do a lot of research. There is something about our ability to, to make a decision in the blink of an eye. And the more information you have, it helps mm-hmm. to train the intuition and learning to trust your, your instincts, learning to trust your intuition. It's a great book. And, and so I would imagine over time you've learned to trust certain feelings, certain I see something that I know that I mm-hmm. need to, to address. I just I don't know what it is, but this person needs to go off. Yes. And uh, the more times you've done that, you've obviously learned confidence in that and continue to lean in that direction. And Definitely. And yeah, that's good. That's really good. Well, I imagine that you have had some important cases and you've lost them. Yes. Yeah. And no doubt you've been discouraged when that happens, especially if you are confident this person's guilty um, and you have a sense of justice not being served, right? How do you keep yourself motivated? You know, how do you, how do you put that behind you? How do you file that? How do you go to sleep, you know, and move on to the next thing when you truly believe that someone who's guilty is is free now and the family who was seeking justice and somewhat mm. they put responsibility into your lap and it didn't work. Tell us a little bit about how you process that emotional and professional letdown. Well, we talk about uh, our cases at work a lot. I have a good support system mm-hmm. uh, with some of my fellow prosecutors and we'll discuss what went wrong, what went right. And, you know, they're very uh, supportive. I'll talk to my husband about, you know, what's going on. And I just, you know, I don't go in with expectations to win. Even if I think I have a good Mm. case, I'm a little pessimistic because I have been burned with juries before. So I always walk in and I always tell the families, look, you never know with a jury what they're going to do. So I set my expectations pretty low, even if everything's going really well. So I kind of just expect the worst. And then I'm excited when, you know, the good result happens. And truthfully, a lot of the cases I know ahead of time that I'm going to lose. There's some that I just really? know that I know that I feel they did it. I know that I have evidence, but because of something with the case, I'm kind of expecting mm. a not guilty. So I've learned How often to, are you right? Most of the time. Really? Uh, one, I can think of one or tw- once or twice where I've won where I didn't think I would, but usually I know when I've lost the case. Um, and I'll just sit there and I'm like, okay, just school your face. So right. when the jury verdict comes back, just maintain don't you know don't show any emotion it's just another day and you just have to pick yourself back up i'm curious a a lot 
of the, the obviously at the the end of the day, the the jury makes the decision. So I mean, yes. a tremendous amount of responsibility, you know, is is in their hands. The judge, I would imagine, also sways this trial one way or another. And yes. I assume there are some ones who are much more involved and seem to care, and other ones, I, again, I'm assuming here, so I may be completely wrong. I don't want to you know, right. put anything on a, you know, the, the judges who are maybe listening. Uh, but I would imagine some of them, it's a job. You know, they're there to get the day done and they've got other trials that maybe doing it so right. long or they're burdened and they've got to travel to all these different counties. So how much does that judge sway the trial, the way that they either overturn or sustain the objections and, and let certain evidence be permitted or kept out or, or whatever? Give us a little bit of that. How powerful is that judge sitting there? They are very powerful. They okay. are the gatekeepers. Okay. Uh, when I'm trying to get evidence, and if they rule against me and I can't get a particular piece of evidence in, the jury's not getting the whole story. Mm-hmm. So you can win or lose a case based on uh, judicial rulings. And, you know, they're supposed to do sure. that. But sure. um, your judge's personality can affect your case, how fast they want to go. Um, some judges are going to want to uh, tell you how to try the case during it. Oh, you don't need to put this witness on. And mm-hmm. some will try to pressure you to plead because they don't want to sit there and listen to it. Um, it just depends. There, you know, just like prosecutors and defense attorneys, judges are human and they're all sure. different. But they definitely have an impact. Like I know ahead of time when I have a particular judge. Okay, this judge likes to go fast. This judge wants to pick the jury first thing in the morning. Um, I have an idea. So you're reading the judges as well. Yes, and so I know what they like. There are so many things behind the scenes happening here. Mm-hmm. Body language you're reading from the jurors, um, somewhat you know, slanting the way you do things or at least modifying it based on the judge. Yes. So absolutely. it's a, it's a chemistry it that is. exists here. You've got the jurors, you've got to, you've got to, you know, evaluate the jury and you got to go, okay, here's kind of the personality of this particular jury. Right. And everyone's different. Right. Every trial's different. And the personality of the judge based yes. on what I know about him or her. And the defense attorney. And the defense what attorney. What are they bringing to the table? So they're, they're also mm-hmm. adding into this mix so there are there there's no two trials the same. Never because you've got a different defense attorney, mm-hmm. and a judge and a jury. Even if you have the same defense attorney and judge, you've got a different jury. Different you know, facts. Yeah, exactly right. Different person, mm-hmm. different facts. So there's const- So you've got to make you've got to move yourself. It has to morph, evolve mm-hmm. a little, based on all the chemistry that's going on in the room. Definitely, you have to adapt. That's what I would imagine is the difference between a good attorney and a great attorney. Yes. Having the ability to really read all of that, put it together and know what kind of argument to use, how to argue, what certain things to, to present maybe a certain way and on and on. It's definitely, and, um, there's a lot of great lawyers who are not trial lawyers um, because there's so many different areas that you can do. But I've seen people who um, get into trial work who are not suited for it. They're smart, they're capable, they have good arguments, but they don't present well. Mm-hmm. And it's not their calling, and they look really uncomfortable from the, the jury, and it, it doesn't play well. So you um, you really need to be able to get up there and project confidence, once again, even if you yeah. don't feel it. Yeah. Because I tell new prosecutors, if you don't believe your own argument, you shouldn't be making it mm. because the jury's not going to believe you. If you don't believe it, if nobody you don't believe else it. will believe it. So I'm arguing to myself. Right. Like when I get up there, I'm, I speak passionately right. because I am convinced that I'm right. Well, let me ask you. You mentioned about you know somewhat acting. You know, yes. you've got it, and it's a story. So what I'm hearing hearing from you is drama. Yes. There's some of that. There's storytelling. 
obviously you've got to be a good communicator. You've got to communicate these uh, sometimes very intricate, detailed facts to an average juror who obviously has got a job they've got to get back to and a family at home, right. you know, and all the different stress and worry. And you've got to take some very high-level thinking and facts and evidence down to the average person. How do you train for that? Or maybe I should say, how do you keep yourself sharp? Is it through some reading? Is it through self-motivation books? Is it through leadership teaching? Is it communication skills? How does Kim become and keep herself sharp in all of those areas of communicating to people, keeping the drama alive and the passion? Well, I read a lot. Okay. And fortunately, the type of books I read, uh, a lot of uh, crime dramas. Yeah. I, I love mysteries. So I read good books. What keeps you engaged in the story? Mm -hmm. um, I so also, what works here? Right. I want to do that too. Right. And yeah. I watch trials. I also go and watch other experienced attorneys try cases. And I watch them and I look to see what works. Because mm -hmm. you, you've got to be yourself in court. But right. if you see somebody do something that you think is horrible, okay, well, don't do that. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've picked up tips over the years from senior prosecutors and senior attorneys. Uh, movies. You can get ideas from movies. Um, I go to training whenever it's offered. Um, and, you know, I tend to be dramatic. You can ask my husband. Yeah. I've honed many of my cross-examinations on his poor uh, self at home. <laughs> and when I'm mad and I start yeah. cross-examining him, he starts sweating. So, oh. yeah. Yeah. You know what? That's a great point. Can you imagine, those of you listening, can you imagine... Uh, your wife or your husband being a, a prosecuting attorney and you get in an argument with them and they're bringing out the best of the best so you might as well just quit just stop <laughs> he's yeah he's used to it poor Paul yeah that's funny um, have you ever been in the middle of a case and began to question the guilt of the person you're attempting to try you know like things switch maybe some evidence comes up or a tremendously mm -hmm. good argument has been made here of something that flipped or twisted or whatever. If that's true, how, how do you handle that? What do you do? I've had it happen in district court is our lower court where you okay. have misdemeanors, less serious offenses. Mm -hmm. And there's an ability for private citizens to take charges out on each other. Mm. So for okay, the, explain that a little okay. bit. Okay. Let's say you and I get in an argument, we're neighbors, mm -hmm. and I threaten you. Okay. You can go down to the county magistrate office and swear out a warrant under oath and say that I communicated a threat to you. The magistrate will listen, and if they feel it meets the elements of that crime, they'll just give you a warrant, and now I have to go to court. And uh, the prosecutors, generally, we're not involved. There's usually not any police. Mm -hmm. So I get to court and district court once in a while, and there'll be a case I have no idea what it's about. And you talk to the people, you're like, okay. You put it up there, and you really don't have much of an opinion about whether it's legitimate or not. But once it starts going on, you realize, okay, I don't think this mm -hmm. is right. I think I'm on the wrong side here. And that's happened a few times in district court. How do you handle that? Um, well, I'm questioning people, so I can expose that. If I think uh, this is, you know, well, and if I figure it out ahead of time, I'm going to dismiss it. But if I'm in the middle of something and I realize this is wrong, I can do questioning specifically to expose that to the judge. Mm -hmm. Or I can just stand up and say no further questions and rest oh, evidence. So you're, so you're done. I'm done. Yeah, okay. And as a signal that this is not right. Um, so that's happened in some of the uh, less serious cases. The yeah. more serious cases are vetted a lot uh, right. heavier. So you wouldn't take them if no. there was any kind of concern? or. And if I find out, it's right. I'm getting rid of it. So. Right. Interesting. Now, I imagine you have a great team around you. I do. Because of all these trials and all these cases and, and all of that, do you hire, like I don't know how any of that works, do you have a, a somewhat of a, a 
control a little bit of who gets around you, the team, or are they just hired by someone else and placed with you, or how does that work? Well, I have the elected district attorney, Andrew Womble, so he's mm-hmm. my boss. Okay. Um, when we have an opening, we'll advertise, and people will come in and interview, and usually I'm with him when he interviews okay. people. So I do get to voice what I think mm-hmm. of someone, or um, I have some people that I met when they were in law school. They interned with me and impressed me that I referred for a job later. So I do get some input. Mm-hmm. And then generally I train a lot of the office, so Pasquotank tends to be a busier county. So most of the ADAs rotate through my county at least once with me mm-hmm. before they go to some of the smaller counties to work more independently. So I get to work with all of them at some point. Right. So you have a team around you. Yes. And I, they obviously have got to be great. I mean, to keep I all the so. yeah, keep all the cases moving and and all the trials, and they keep you they help keep you organized and help oh. keep things in front of you and because I'm not organized. Okay, I'm not. Okay, so that's I'm, not a natural strength of yours. Not as far as like the paperwork. I mean, right. I make a notebook. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know the facts cold, and I'm great at case law, right. and I have the arguments down. But I'm notorious for losing stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I lose paperwork leave a trail around the office so i usually have a couple of the female attorneys that i'm particularly close to Mm -hmm. that i like to try felonies with i'll bring them over for murder trial so they get more experience and i'm like okay keep track of this because i'm gonna lose this Mm. and it's kind of a joke because i'm on point in court you won't know how disorganized i am but my desk is a disaster Mm. well that 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 Mm. i have found is is common but among people often who have a mind that things are organized in their mind it does not mm-hmm. always project outward so True. sometimes you come in and think okay that desk is a mess I wonder if that's the same way it is in that person's mind but it isn't they've got things organized in their mind and they can argue but it's just not a value having the desk organized is just not a value there's other people who can do that and you just happen to not be one so you know that's just yeah. the way it is it's not my street. Well, that, that leads to a question I have and that is what what is something Kim is not good at doing? Because obviously, just in this conversation, there are many things you are good at doing, and you're able to be successful in so many areas. What is something you're not? It's just, this is not a strength of mine. I'm not good at it. What? I don't like, I'm kind of a people pleaser, so I okay. don't like telling people no. So mm-hmm. I, I have to do it, but I really struggle when I have someone who's a victim of a crime, or they think they are giving them disappointing news. I have to do it, but I hate disappointing people. So um, that is something I don't think I'm particularly great at. And um, I probably should say no to some of the marginal cases more often. There are other people in the office, if they just don't think they can win it, they probably say no a lot quicker. Where I'm like, well, I think this happened, and there's evidence there. Now, I don't know if jury's going to agree with me, and I'll go for it anyway just because I don't like to upset people. So that's definitely So it's something you carry with you all the time that sometimes bites you. Because it's just something you, yeah, if you could change that one part and be a little bit more, you know, quick to say no. Yes. You know, because I'm sure that by saying yes, it has brought undue pressure, you know, and complications because it's just so many things you got to keep balanced. Definitely. Well, the opposite of that, what about a strength? What is something you're confident? I know I can do this. This is my strength. This is my sweet spot. I am excellent at cross-examination. I am deceptively nice. Um, Hmm. And I don't don't mean that in a bad way, but people uh, tend to think I'm nicer than I am because, you know, I'm female, I'm Mm -hmm. soft-spoken until I'm not. And then I just appear very nice. I'm very friendly with the jury. But when someone takes the stand, 
uh, particularly your defendant, I'm very good at exposing all the inconsistencies and all the untruths and how their story changes and making um, the jury see the fallacy in what they're saying, how it doesn't right. make sense. So that's something I'm very good at. And because they're not expecting it. They are not expecting right, it. Right. It actually has even more of an mm-hmm. impact. So that surprised a few people. Yeah. When I was newer, some of the defense attorneys uh, were shocked. Mm-hmm. I don't think they expected me to be as aggressive as I actually am mm-hmm. and that I'm not intimidated. And I'm also uh, good at closing arguments, that final word that you get to say where you summarize the case. I'm very passionate. I can do it without notes. Um, you know, I Which move makes around. a big difference to the jury yes. in communicating to them. Because they want yeah. TV because they're watching their shows. Right. So they want you to be entertaining and dramatic. They don't want a boring lawyer. So I'm going to go in there and it's, you know, I'm going to, you know, point at the defendant. I'm going to walk around. I'm going to show no fear mm-hmm. whether I am or not. Mm-hmm. It's irrelevant. I'm going to project that confidence and try to entertain while I'm doing it. Yeah. Well, you obviously play to your strengths, which means that you, you, you get that, you understand that about yourself mm-hmm. and you work on that and become better and better. And, um, you have, a struggle with saying yes or saying no, I should say. So that's mm-hmm. something you have to continue to, to work on. Yeah. Well, even being as successful as you are, it's, it's good to for people to hear that, the, hey, in the middle of all this, I'm still disorganized in some yeah. areas. I still say yes too many too many times. My house is a mess. My, okay. Yes, yeah. So there's certain things that you just, you know, you can't mm-hmm. be great at everything. And that's okay to accept those things about yourself. Know your strengths. Know your weaknesses. And play to the strengths, and I always encourage our staff and other people, play to your strengths and hire to your weaknesses. Find some people who can come in and help you with the areas that you're not very good at doing mm-hmm. and stay in your sweet spot as much as you possibly can. Well, let's, let's turn the conversation okay. a little bit, some more personal things about okay. you. Tell me a little bit about maybe a favorite uh, pastime or a favorite hobby you have, something you really look forward to doing. You get a day off, you know, this is relief, this mm-hmm. is fun. What's kind of there in, on your, in, in your peripheral vision you know over here in life that you enjoy going to and doing running 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 I love to run I get I have a lot of stress so I run it off Mm. so I can be mad I can be happy I can be stressed and I run it off so I get a lot of energy out so I start most days of by getting up and running before work and um, we spend a lot of our time off uh, doing some of the races just for fun. You just had a, a 5K, I think it was. 5K like and this a past half. weekend? Yes, it yeah. was for my birthday. So oh. Paul's like, what do you want to do for our so birthday? So your birthday gift is running a 5K. And our anniversary. Yes, we okay. did a 5K and a half marathon. I don't think a lot of people would see that as a birthday gift. Well, it's know? traveling. I love yeah. the beach, too. Okay. So it was the beach and running. Right. So I got to do all the things I like. Which is tremendous stress so, relief. Yes. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. And that keeps you just, you know, something you can get out and just... All this energy comes out from all the trials and all oh, the reading and life, all the inside because a lot of your work, I mean, most all of it's inside, you know, oh. stuck in an office, yes. facing a book, you know, paperwork, Computers, yeah, yeah, all that time. So it's the very opposite of that, getting and outside and running. Yeah, I mean, I'm doing sad. the sad stuff all the right. time. So I can go out and just run for a couple miles or get on the treadmill and watch a movie. And, and Paul enjoys that too. Yes. So that's something you guys can share together, which yes. is great. And I'm making the kids do it. I don't know if they enjoy it yet, but it's sort of... <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> I force I them it. on 5Ks. Yeah, so. sure. What about, uh, are you more of a movie person or a book person? Both. 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 All right. So tell me, uh, do you have a favorite movie out now or do you have a classic movie that you just love and you can't get enough of? Uh, tell me a little bit about your movies. I like them all, but we see, um, I don't do horror movies. I, my yeah. job is enough of a horror movie, sure. so I don't sure. really, really like those. But um, we see all the superhero mm-hmm. things. We just saw Infinity. Uh, oh, is it good? Last... I haven't seen it's it It's good. Yet. It's good. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say it's great. I yeah, mean, I love so. superheroes. So. Right. Okay. We do that. Um, 
I see. Now, is that something you also share with Paul? He yes. enjoys it too. Great. Yes. And we go to the cinema cafe because I like to eat a lot. Oh, yeah. So we'll go there and, you know, eat an entire pizza and, and watch then, a movie. And then run all those calories off. Oh, yes. I, I eat a lot. So <laughs> food, movies, books. Right. What kind of books? Mysteries. Mm-hmm. Um, I read any kind of mystery. I've, I read them all. Now, those I, you know... I probably read two, three books a week. I will throw in some self-help once in a while. Where do you find time to read two or three books a week? I read at night a lot. So um, some, You're obviously a fast reader. I am a fast reader. I read in the car. Um, I'll read at night when the kids go to bed. You know, I'm kind of famous for squirreling myself away in the yeah. bedroom. Just, I get in my own world, and I just like to read. Do you and, find that as an escape, again, from reality? Because you mm-hmm. live... I imagine your world is just sometimes, and this may be a little dramatic, but it's almost drowning in reality. Oh, because yes. you you live in a world of of crime, real crime, not dramatic crime, real crime, pain, uh, sadness. Mm-hmm. Sometimes justice is done, but even when justice is done, it's still justice over something very it's, sad. You yeah, know, it never fixes it. Right, and you mm-hmm. still got someone who's gone if it was right. murdered or, or a murder Rapes, or something. Yeah. yeah. So the mystery and even the the superheroes and all of that is somewhat of an escape from reality and just kind of enjoy this other world, this other alternative reality, if you will. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you find some relief in that. Well, if you had a room filled with aspiring prosecuting attorneys, these are young girls, young guys, maybe 20, 21, you know, moving into that role, and it's something they want to be, what Knowing what you know now and the things you've learned and the education mm-hmm. you have, what is something you would want to make sure you communicated to them? We, I want you to know this as you start off in life. What we do is important, but don't expect to be recognized for it necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to be underpaid at some points for your education level, and there are going to be days when you feel very underappreciated. Uh, you can't get perfect results. Um, so you're going to have people who are going to yell at you and you know, curse your name on both sides. Mm. And some of that just goes with the job. You just have to go out there and do your best and always strive to do justice. And justice isn't necessarily a happy outcome. So they need to realize that it's a hard job, but I think it's very satisfying because you, you do see a difference in your community from what you're doing. This may be this, this question may be, you know, leaning obviously into a stereotypical. So correct me, please. I'm just, Again, ignorant about this whole world of, of law, and I'm, I'm learning. It's very interesting to me. I would imagine, just based on this conversation, that many of the of those who want to become a prosecutor, when they're young, at the core of their being is this sense of justice. That's probably what pushes them that way. Would you say, and this is going to throw some people under the bus maybe, but the defense attorney... Is that as much of a passion maybe in them to be the, you know, justice or because you said, you know, tell them about the money and because I would imagine some get into law and attorney because they see the stuff on TV because again, we're talking about 19, 20 year olds here, you know, very young and they see all that drama and they also see the money that comes with a lot of especially you rarely ever see the prosecutors on tv wealthy it's we're always not, we're not, right yeah. it's always yeah. the defense attorney mm-hmm. that has all this big house and all mm-hmm. that do you think some of that is a little bit more of the in the prosecuting it's the more of the sense of justice and in the defense it's a little bit more of the money and the drama is that completely unfair 
I wouldn't go that far. I know a lot of good defense attorneys who are, yeah. are good people. Um, one of my friends uh, that I would talked about, who's the chief public defender, I mean, we give each other grief all the time, but I know that when he goes in there, it's not necessarily that he thinks his client is innocent. It doesn't matter. His job is to advocate for that person and make sure they're treated fairly. He's holding the state of North Carolina to its burden of proof and making sure that we follow the law and that we are playing fair because the government has a lot of power. Just as much justice there, too. Right. He has that same passion for justice, just different. Right. And, you know, it's very important what they do. It's almost Um, as a passion for law. Yes. That the law... The honor of the law is upheld. Right, that we're playing fair. Yeah. So um, I'm not, I mean, there's certainly people out there who are doing it for the money. Sure. Um, but I think a lot of people, particularly the public defenders, are doing it because they want people who are maybe marginalized to be treated fairly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they go with more pure purposes. Uh, prosecutors who want to be career prosecutors, and there's people who just do it for experience mm-hmm. so that they can go out and open a firm and make okay. money. There's okay. certainly that element. But the career prosecutors tend to be idealistic. They tend to be uh, individuals with a strong sense of right and wrong from childhood on. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not a lot of gray for them. It's you do something, it's either right or wrong. Yeah. We can be judgmental. That would be so. a very interesting uh, study, and I'm sure it's been mm-hmm. done, of, of how many, what the personality types are of those who get into being a prosecuting attorney and this sense of idealism mm-hmm. and this sense of, you know, justice mm-hmm. in the world. I would imagine that fits a particular personality type. You know, and that fit into that, and then also those who go out for money, and there's a certain personality type for that. Females tend, the females that I have worked with tend mm-hmm. to be the most idealistic. Okay. I tend to be biased and think they tend to make uh, great prosecutors mm-hmm. because they are passionate. Most of them really care. They have a lot of empathy for the victims. They care about their cases. Which um, keeps them passionate. Yes. And more um, uh, maybe appealing to the jurors more. Sometimes. Because, yeah. If yeah. we are too aggressive, that can be a turnoff to a okay. jury, as, you know, depending on sure. uh, their background. But uh, the women tend to be more career-oriented as far mm-hmm. as doing the prosecution for their entire lives. I know yeah. quite a few. Yeah. Well, you love animals. Yes. Okay. You're an animal lover, right? Absolutely. So you have how many pets do you have? Currently, I have three cats and four dogs. Okay. Now, is that because you love dogs a little bit more than cats, or is it just no. happens to be that way now? It just worked out that way. So you have yeah. seven pets. Yes. Wow. That's mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. True. And Paul loves animals, too? He does. Okay. He does. Well, I think he's learned to love them. I don't know yeah. if he loved them to level seven, <laughs> but uh, over the years, I've managed to you Now, know, do, you love, do you love all animals? Yes. If okay. it's cuddly, I like it. Okay. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. You do you have large dogs, small dogs? How does that work? All I have them? I like large dogs, okay. so I have uh, two German Shepherds. Mm. They are completely crazy. Zeus and Zena. I have a Rottweiler mix that I got from the Pound Bear. Yeah, and then I have a very obese Basset Hound. Lucy. Okay, so, so <laughs> does it run with you? The Basset Hound doesn't go to <laughs> she run. She try. <laughs> she runs for about two seconds. Yeah. Now, do you have? A, I don't know. Do you have a large piece of property for all these animals? We on? just have or? an acre. Okay. So wow. yeah. Yeah, well, I love animals too. I love dogs. I'm not a real cat fan. I know. like them too, though. Yeah, I love dogs. So I can play with dogs and just mm-hmm. have a blast. And I've got three at home, so I love I love okay. dogs. Hey, if you could talk, just a couple more questions. If you could talk to your 21 year old self, go back to when you were first mm-hmm. starting, uh, what would you say? Oh, that's going to be okay. Okay. You know that you're going to be fine, and I would encourage myself because at 21, I was still in the Navy. You know, I was making some good decisions, but I was pretty immature. Um, I would not have realized how things were going to turn out. You would um, never imagine yourself as a prosecuting attorney? No. Yeah. No, not at all. Yeah. 
So you would go back and say, hey, you're going to be okay. Things yes. are going to get rough. You know, yes. Some things are going to get a little confusing, but you're going to make it. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, experiences change you. So I'm a different person today than I was then. I've been through a lot more, and it's made me a better person. Um, yeah. But at 21, you know, I was pretty clueless. So yeah. I think it would have been nice to have some confidence to know that I was going to, you know, do something more than I expected with my life. Now look ahead another 15 years or so. Do you see yourself continuing to do what you do now? Is that a passion that you think will still be there years from now? I think so. I mean, I've been at it for 12 years. Um, once I decided to go to law school, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be a prosecutor. That's the side that has always appealed to me. That's what I wanted to do, and it hasn't disappointed me. Um, I have days when it sucks. I'm, you know, like everybody has that. But generally, I get up, and I'm excited to go to work. I'm excited to um, make the community safer. I like working with the police, so I don't see that changing. Um, so I'm going to keep doing it. Um, you know, I'm not saying it'll be forever, but that's sure. my intent right now. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. great. Well, one more question. If you could have a meal with anyone, past or present, whether they're alive today or they've passed on, and you could have that meal with that person and just sit down and talk and enjoy an intimate time, who would that person be? I'm laughing that you asked that because okay. uh, I heard that on one of your other podcasts. And yeah. I told Paul, I said, gosh, if he asked me that, I don't have an answer because I don't like people. <laughs> like for the most part, when I go home, I want to read my book and well, pet my dogs. Yeah, maybe it could be an, another attorney, you know, that you kind of idolize. Or maybe it could be a, an actor or an author or, you know, anyone that you would love to just sit down and pick their brain. Legitimately, questions, you know. I told Paul, the only person I can think of is Steve Irwin, you know, the crocodile oh. hunter. I was like, I really don't like people a whole <laughs> there lot. There you go. So, there, there it is. Yeah. Animal lover. Yes. Right? And why did you get into it? You know, uh, what's some of your favorite, you know, experiences you've had? That'd be something that you would enjoy. I want to go feed the crocodiles with him. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so, great. Yeah, I thought, well, that's really lame sounding. I, you know, I should be saying but that's Supreme honest. Court. No, no, no. That's <laughs> honest. That's who you are. It says about who you are. So that's very interesting. Well, Kim, thank you so much. You. I've really enjoyed this conversation, learned a lot, and it's given me a much more of an appreciation for what you do and a little bit more clarity. You know, I had some questions about all that, so this is a wonderful time to just kind of sit down and bring into focus a little bit about uh, being a prosecutor and how that how you, how, how that comes to be and the difference in defense mm-hmm. and prosecuting and trials and all that. So very, very good. Well, thank you. How can someone reach you if they're interested in kind of keeping up with all your animals and running <laughs> and all your fun things? Uh, well, Facebook? Facebook. Or, I'm okay. on Facebook. Uh, there are, my Facebook is primarily pictures of my kids, running-related stuff, and jokes and lots and lots of animal photos okay facebook or um professionally if they need to talk to me at the district attorney's office right and you're we'll have all this on the uh the podcast too last name p-e-l-l-i-n-i yes sir okay and that's great thank you kim for being with us today thanks again for listening to this episode of the imperfect leader podcast As I mentioned at the beginning, please go by iTunes and give us a five-star rating and share this podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, I'd love to interact with you. You can reach me by visiting scottneal.me or like my page on Facebook at facebook.com slash scottneal online. I'd love to know what you're thinking and answer any questions you have.